through your smart speakers. This is Castle Down FM News Update. From the Sky News Centre at midday. New rules around owning XL bully dogs have come into force in England and Wales. From today, they must be capped on a lead and muzzled and can't be bred, sold or given away. Niall Barnes, who owns MB Dog Training, has worked with the breed. They can be trained just like any other dog. They're not this random savage animal that exists separate of dogs. But I think the issue is... It's not about their training so much as some of them have this trigger and some of them are raised poorly. Eurostar services are underway after a flooded tunnel led to widespread cancellations yesterday, disrupting thousands of journeys. But some delays are still expected on domestic routes. The singer Paula Abdul's accused a former American Idol producer of sexual assault when she was a judge on the show. Her lawsuit also accuses Nigel Lithgow of another incident years later. He's denied the claims. North Korea's leader, Kim Jong-un, has pledged to launch three new spy satellites and increased stock of nuclear weapons in the new year. He claims that moves by the US and its allies have pushed the Korean peninsula to the brink of nuclear war. As the turn of the year approaches, politicians have been giving their New Year's messages. The Prime Minister Rishi Sunak says it's a time for pride and optimism, while the Labour leader, Sakir Starmer, frames 2024 as the year to give Britain its future back. He also talks about his hopes for change in the Middle East. A secure Israel alongside a viable Palestinian state. A hope that may be fragile, but that must be kept alive. Because there is always power in that word hope. It is the fuel of change, the oxygen of a better future. And celebrations are underway in New Zealand as thousands of people welcomed in the new year. Auckland lit up with a fireworks display over its tallest building, the Sky Tower. Australia's next, more than a million people are thought to have gathered in Sydney Harbour to celebrate the arrival of the new year there. That's the latest. I'm Claire Gregory. Castle Down FM in the afternoon. Hello there, I'm Terry Hughes. Welcome to this special tribute show. We lost George Michael on Christmas Day 2016. He left us way too early. And so for the next two hours, we will be remembering George Michael. The man, his music and his legacy. So welcome to this special holiday season edition of Terry's Real Gold. We're about to take you on a journey of George's life, his loves and all of his greatest songs in chronological order. It all began in 1981 when George Michael and Andrew Ridgely formed Wham! But it wasn't until 1982 that they had their first hit. It got to number three in the UK charts. Let's hear Young Guns Go For It.
Well, I haven't seen your face around town a while, so I greeted you with a knowing smile. When I saw that girl upon your arm, I knew she won your heart with a fatal charm. I said, so boy, let's hit the town, let's hit the you boy. And what's with the frown? But in return, all you could say was, hi, Dodge, meet my fiancé. Guns, guns, heaven's on fire, crazy ladies, keep them on the run. But after the uh, success of Young Guns Go For It, they re-released Wham Rap, and it became their second hit single in early 1983 when it hit number eight in the UK charts. So how did Wham get together in the first place? Well, George Michael and Andrew Ridgely met at Bushy Mead's School in Bushy near the town of Watford in Hertfordshire. Uh, they put a band together called The Executive. That flopped pretty quickly. And Michael and Andrew Ridgely spun off out of that and formed Wham. Andrew Ridgely happened to know Mark D from Inner Vision Records. He used to bump into him at the Three Crowns pub in Hertfordshire and he handed him the band's demo tape. In February 82, Dean met with George Michael and Andrew Ridgely and offered them a recording deal. He said, I'm going to offer Wham a deal with my new label, Inner Vision. It's not a huge thing. I'm taking a punt. I'd like you to have a crack at recording a single or two and we'll see what happens from there. The song you heard a few seconds ago, Young Guns, was one of four tracks that were released as singles from the band's debut album, of course, on Inner Vision Records. The four were Wham Rap, Young Guns, Club Tropicana, and this one, Bad Boys. Sums up George and Andrew in those days, absolutely.
Bad Boys from 1983, it got to number two in the charts, tantalizingly close to number one. But by now, Wham! were pretty famous. In 1984, they released a song that would make them even more of a household name. George Michael described the song that you're about to hear. He said, I just wanted to make a really energetic pop record that had all the best elements of 50s and 60s records combined with our attitude and our approach and our Choose Life t-shirts. Remember which song it was then? If not, a few more clues for you. The title of the song was inspired by a note that Andrew Ridgely wrote for his parents and it came into the UK singles chart at number four and then it hit the top spot seven days later. Yes, it was Wham's first UK number one and it went straight to the top of the Billboard Hot 100 in the US as well. What is it? Wake me up before you go-go. Go, go. 
Wake Me Up Before You Go Go. That was Wham's first number one hit on both sides of the Atlantic. 1984 was going crazy for Wham, and by then George Michael had taken control of the uh, artistic and creative direction of the group. And that became so evident when they released Careless Whisper in July 1984. Careless Whisper is a joint composition by George Michael and Andrew Ridgely, but it's clear that George was the creative genius behind the song, including coming up with the idea of the saxophone riff, which has become world famous ever since. And in fact, the reason Andrew Ridgely is quite well off today is because of that song and the royalties that he still gets from Careless Whisper.
Careless Whisper, one of the biggest selling songs of all time, created by George Michael and Andrew Ridgely. As Wham, well, depending on which country you bought the vinyl in, of course, as I said earlier. By now, of course, Wham were on epic records. They'd walked away from Innervision after some legal battles, and I bet um, Mark Dean from Innervision Records was kicking himself when he saw the success that Careless Whisper had and the money that it made. And being on Epic Records turned Wham into something of a hit factory. After Careless Whisper, they had another number one with Freedom. They had a number two with Everything She Wants. They had a number two with Last Christmas in uh, late 84. I won't play that now. I think I'll get back to that one later. And then they had a number one with I'm Your Man in 85. And if only we had the time to play all of those, but we want to get into the music of the man himself, George Michael, in the show. So, in 1986, Wham! decided to split up. George Michael was keen to create music targeted at a more sophisticated adult market, rather than the, uh, the teenage audience that Wham! seemed to be attracting. And he and Ridgely officially announced the breakup of Wham! in the spring of 1986, but they promised a farewell single and a greatest hits album called The Final, along with a farewell concert entitled The Final. At London's Wembley Stadium on Saturday the 28th of June 1986, they said goodbye to their fans and each other with an emotional embrace at the end of the final concert attended by 72,000 people. So what was Wham's final ever single? It was The Edge of Heaven. And yes, in a fitting tribute, it went all the way to number one in the UK charts as we said goodbye to Wham, as it turned out forever.
from the hot summer of 1986, Wham's last single, The Edge of Heaven. Going back a few months before that, though, to March 86, Wham had already decided to split up. In fact, they'd already announced it by then. So George Michael was busily writing solo material. And in March of 86, he released the next song, It's amazing to think back now that even ahead of uh, Wham's last hit single, the one we just played, George Michael was having solo hits in his own name. Regarding this one I'm about to play, Simon Bates played it on Radio 1, and he couldn't believe it. He rated it so highly that he took the needle off the end and he played it all the way again from the beginning. That helped George Michael to go straight to number one with this classic, A Different Corner.
Different Corner was a record-breaking song in two ways. After George's success with um, Careless Whisper, which you could argue was a solo hit because it was in the UK, although it was Wham! in America. Uh, of course, Careless Whisper went to number one. That song, A Different Corner, went to number one. And he became the first solo act in history of the UK chart to reach number one with his first two releases. Also, A Different Corner was the first song to reach number one in the UK charts that was written, performed and produced by the same person. A Different Corner was such a success that Epic Records decided to get on with making an album with George Michael called Faith. Well, I guess it would be nice. solo album what a great one it was he wrote all the tracks apart from one on that album that was faith that was the second single from the album the first one being i want your sex but even before those two songs had uh, gone into the charts george michael had been number one in earlier 87 as a duet with somebody but can you remember who the duet was with i'll give you a few clues uh, it was actually with one of george michael's favorite artists of all time and he persuaded her to do a duet with him a one-off duet. The song wasn't written by either of them, it was written by Simon Climey of Climey Fisher and Dennis Morgan, produced fantastically by Narada Michael Walden 
and it did go to number one in both the UK and the US. And his duet partner said it was her biggest hit of all time. Even though she was absolutely household name famous, she'd never had a hit anything like that. What a great song, but who is it? Well, I'll tell you. It's George Michael and Aretha Franklin. I knew you were waiting for me.
I Knew You Were Waiting For Me. One of two duet singles that George Michael had in his career. Can you remember the other one? We're going to play it later on. So, back to the album Faith in 1987. What a successful album that was. Number one on the UK Albums Chart and the US Billboard 200. It was on the Billboard chart for a year, including 12 weeks at number one. It was also the first album by a white solo artist to hit number one on the Billboard Black Albums chart. The album had really launched George Michael's solo career in great style. It is still one of the best-selling albums of all time. It sold over 25 million copies. And George Michael embarked on a worldwide tour to promote the album called The Faith Tour in February 1988. George had gone from being half of a pop group wham that appealed to teenagers to being one of the world's most successful solo artists, thanks to that album Faith, and thanks to Epic Records, which was also known, by the way, as Columbia Records in the US, to take a chance on George Michael, a chance that paid off. Let's listen to two more tracks from the classic album.
two great songs from the album Faith. You heard Father Figure got to number 11 in the UK and number one in America. And so did One More Try and number one in America got to number eight in the UK. It's incredible when you look at the album Faith that he released seven singles out of the nine tracks. I Want Your Sex, Faith, Hard Day, Father Figure, One More Try, Monkey, and the one I'm about to play. And the one I'm about to play is important because it marked the end of an era. George was about to go into all sorts of legal arguments and other arguments with his record label. So the song I'm about to play was his last hit for two years. And it was the last one released from the album Faith, Kissing a Fool.
Kissing a Fool, the last of seven tracks to be released from the album Faith as a single. But behind every great album there's a story, and here's a story for you about what happened to George Michael and his record label. When they took a chance on him and uh, signed him up, they signed him for an eight-album deal, of which Faith was the first of eight albums that George Michael had to make for Epic Records and Columbia Records. And in 1987, Epic Records had been acquired by Sony, so Sony was starting to come on the scene. And George had found the whole Faith thing exhausting. He said, it left him exhausted, lonely and frustrated, and far from my friends and family. He said, success did not make me happy, and I started to think there was something wrong in being an idol for millions of teenage girls. So, at the end of the whole Faith thing, he told his record company that by now was Sony, that for his second album, he didn't want to do any of that same kind of promotion. No touring, no fancy photo shoots, no fancy videos. He wanted to be a much more serious musician. That caused some serious locking of horns between George and his record label, to the point where it took them another two years to come out with the second album. But it was a good one. It was called Listen Without Prejudice, Volume 1, and the first single was a monster. It's called Praying for Time.
FM, online and through your